Hello, everyone. Welcome to Karate Without Belts. Uh, I'm John, and with me today is a very good friend of mine, brother from another mother, Micah Mizukami. Hello. I know. How are you doing today, Micah? Good, good. Thank you for arranging this. It's been a really long time. <laughs> what? It's been a really long time since we've we've talked. Well, yeah, and well, we kind of been going back and forth talking a little bit over the last couple of years. It's weird to think that three years ago was three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess a little background. Me and Micah taught in the same place, made our bones in English teaching uh, on the same island of Weidel. So, Weidel, Weidel, Weidel. Weidel, Weidel, Weidel. <laughs> uh, should we tell people where that is, actually? Sure. Sure, yeah. Um, Tokunoshima? Where is Tokunoshima, Micah? Great question. It's smack dab in the middle of between Okinawa and Kyushu, Kagoshima, southern Japan. Is it, is it well known? No, but apparently it's been getting in the news a lot more recently in Japan. So I don't know how things are changing there with the added attention to it. Is that, is that getting in the news in the good way or the with a uh, 30 years ago way. Like, like touristy things, kind of like how Amami Oshima was becoming this big tourist spot because of TV shows in Japan. I think right. Tokunoshima is being featured in a similar way now. TV in Japan definitely has a lot more... I don't know, is TV in Japan, you feel, has a lot more, is a lot more higher profile than I think it is in, in the United States? Maybe? I don't know. I feel like there's more of a shared culture of TV there than... I think at least what exists in the states, mm-hmm. since we have like cable and stuff like that, there's just you know a ten gajillion channels. I feel like everyone tunes into NHK or I don't have a TV. So I, I I'm really bad with Japanese TV. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. some at someone's house it's it's on, but it just feels to me like they're watching the same three channels. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, me and me and Mike shared a, a decent three years. Uh, not working exactly at the same place. I worked in one town in Tokonoshima. He worked in another. It's not like that was they were super, super far away. Micah had gone on, unlike me, becoming a lowly podcaster and a slight shuffler of, of more English words around with people. Uh, Micah had gone on to gloriously uh, become a PhD candidate at the University of Hawaii, if I'm getting that correct, mm-hmm. and is now... What would you say your current work consists of? Work work or like academic work? You can say both. So like you at work work, I also help with producing podcasts. Oh, really? <laughs> As one small aspect of, of the work I do in um, the Center for Oral History at UH Manoa. Mm. So we have a bunch of recordings of like interviews with people from long ago and we're trying to take it out of our archives because it's just sitting there and no one knows it's there. But academic-wise, I I applied to the program trying to like my application was about rapport building with Japanese language teachers or like not teacher teachers but like grad assistant teachers so they're in this like middle position between being an actual sensei and being a student and looking at at like native japanese student teachers versus non-native japanese student teachers and the relationships they have with their students uh moving forward i don't know if i want to do that so 
there's a lot of interesting language things happening in Hawaii. It's very multilingual. So I kind of want to look more into like classrooms or social spaces here in Hawaii, uh, where a lot of different languages come into contact. Which is a good way of dovetailing in to our topic today. Yes. <laughs> so um, our topic today, if you're if you're if you're confused up to this point, which most people who listen to our podcast either click, <laughs> click off or just like, what are they talking about? Where's Jeremy? Where's Marty? So this is a, this has everything to do with karate because this is everything to do with the place that Okina that that karate comes from, Okinawa. And me and Mike have both have a very very strong experience in with Okinawa and with stuff related to Okinawa, um, but in very very different ways. And and one thing that comes into we come into contact with when we're talking about this and especially with when it comes to karate is language and this is something me and micah have been wrestling with for probably micah has been wrestling with with this more professionally for a longer time than i have i just kind of showed up one day and was like hey this is a thing but it's that okinawa's language isn't official language isn't their native language and there tends to be kind of a, a, a fight and a kind of a bifurcation therein. So, Micah, tell, how would you tell us about the native language of Okinawa? So, my background is in linguistics. And in Japan, there's two, I guess, main language families. If you think of it, language like a tree, the main branch is this thing called Japonic. And from Japonic, you get Japanese language spoken on um, the mainland of Japan. And then the other branch is called Ryukyuen um, or Luchuen, uh, which comprises of Okinawa and all of the islands around Okinawa. And within that branch of Ryukyuen, there's many other branches that are all different languages, including Uchinaguchi or Okinawan, Amami, uh, which is northern uh, Ryukyuen, Miyako is another variety. Um, right. And there's, I think there's five or six different ones in the Ryukyus. Um, all distinct languages, uh, linguists say they're, they're languages in and of themselves, but uh, the Japanese government is kind of, I guess, they don't really want to call it a separate language. So many people in Japan refer to these languages as dialects, which kind of undermines their status as languages. And if you look historically, when Japan, I guess, colonized Okinawa, Part of that effort was to take away their language and impose the Japanese language on right. them. And that is why, like you were mentioning earlier, that um, even though it is Okinawa and Okinawan or Uchinaguchi should be the first language spoken there, it, it is not, especially with the younger generations. And it, it's in danger of being lost because only elderly people are able to speak it really fluently now. Could you tell me... What was your first interaction with this kind of when you because you you have at least in your heritage I don't want to say I mean you tell me because we have we've had conversations about this but we were also drinking a lot too God in our youth God <laughs> such youth um that anymore <laughs> Yeah not not I remember warning you, warning you you were in your earlier 20s I was in bridging on 30 and I, and I was like Micah one day it's gonna hit you too <laughs> and it hit <laughs> you have Okinawan in your in your actual heritage if I'm not mistaken yes so, so I, I, I 
consider myself a quarter Okinawan. Okay, so I'm I'm a quarter Italian. I'm seventy five percent. I I don't know. Somebody somebody fell off a truck, off a boat, off a plane, off a train. So you've got that in your heritage. And what what was your first interaction with Uchi Noguchi? Or in that kind of in th- this kind of you know, you, there's a lot of articles about this that kind of say what you just said. But you personally, how did you kind of you know first interact with this, and what was your initial response? So being born and raised in Hawaii, here we identify by our ethnicities. So I would say I'm Japanese and Okinawan. Uh, and then when I went to do my undergrad uh, on the mainland, and I encountered a lot of I guess students, international students from Japan who would see me and other Asian kids from Hawaii and they would ask us like, are you Japanese? But um, I guess their meaning of Japanese was very different from our meaning of Japanese. Like for us, it's just being ethnically Japanese, but for them, Japanese meant one of our parents had to be from Japan, where in Hawaii, because of the history here, a lot of our, like our parents, grandparents, even great grandparents grew up on the plantation as workers and then they just intermarried with other plantation workers who were also Japanese or Okinawan or whatever. So when I would tell them I'm Okinawan and Japanese, they would say, but they're the same thing. And I was like, they're not. But so many people told me that. And then it really got me thinking why in Japan, like, why don't they think of Okinawa as a a separate ethnicity and, and like what historical circumstances came up with with this, I guess, different perception of this place in Japan. And so I guess my really, really my first interaction with Uchinaguchi is when I went to Okinawa the summer of my, before my junior year of college, I got a research grant to go to Okinawa and do interviews with people. And then one of the people I was able to talk to was Fija Byron, who is known as an Uchinaguchi master and a, a teacher of it and he i got to sit on in on one of his community language classes and then he he was telling me about the history of the language or not just the language but the languages of okinawa and his position is seen as pretty radical in in japan since he has been advocating for Okinawan or Uchinaguchi as a as a separate language for a really long time so i guess that's what really opened my eyes to the, the language side of of Okinawan. And do you think you know, it, it's good you mentioned Fiji Byron because he's, you know, he's one of, if not the main proponent modernly of Uchinaguchi uh, mm-hmm. being used, being being implemented. And, you know, it, it is this weird uphill battle, you know, when you talk to when you talk to people in Japan about this, because even though I think intellectually a lot, you know, you can kind of walk people through this idea and they'll understand it but so i think intellectually they'll understand but like kind of consciously they won't they won't recognize it (laughs) they won't they won't kind of there will not be a shift in in thinking generally and i think it's because no one wants to go against a narrative or no one wants to go against the grain i guess what would we say that because it definitely is called a dialect and there are 
re- there is a relationship between Uchinoguchi and Japanese, but how much would you say there actually is? You know, what makes it what makes it not a dialect and a separate language in itself, or especially separate languages? So for for linguists, basically, the way you tell a language and a dialect apart is whether they're mutually intelligible. So can speakers of the two varieties understand each other when they talk to each other? And if you listen to Japanese and you listen to Uchinaguchi, they sound very different. And if you were to put two monolingual speakers, like one monolingual speaker of Uchinaguchi and one monolingual speaker of Japanese together in a room, they probably won't understand each other. <laughs> and that that is kind of the basic test to define a, a separate language. Whereas if you at Tokunoshima, where we were, right. uh, there's a lot of language variety even in Tokunoshima being such a small island, but I would say those are dialects. Um, they can understand each other, but they are aware of some differences from town to town throughout the island. But then right. I, I'm still not sure about like the, the north side of the island and the south side of the island where you were, because yeah. I, I know there's very, they speak very differently in both areas, and I don't know how much uh, mutual intelligibility is there. Right, and I, I remember uh, very succinctly in one class we kind of talked about this. Like I talked about this with my junior high school students when we were in Tokonoshima, and they were just they were in the same town and they were kind of in the same part of the town, and there was kind of three elementary schools that I think it was two or three elementary schools that ended up going to the same junior high school, and one kid, one of the kids from one of the elementary schools, and one of the kids from one of the elementary schools, and was like, well, this part of the, this part of the town and this part of the town have, comp- have very different um, versions of, at least in Tokunoshima, it's called Shimaguchi, not Uchinaguchi. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they have different versions of Shimaguchi. One kid said, yes, of course. And the other kid said, like, no, 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 no. So, and, you know, for better or for worse, I think the town I was in, there was some, some kids, like, had a very strong sense of, of their language, or some, some of those kids uh, were at least able to point to me and be like, oh, yeah, he knows, he knows Shimaguchi really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and how well they actually knew it, you know, maybe it was just what they thought, not what they actually, what they actually knew. But there was, I mean, it's, it, there was one person who was, was talking to me about just how, like, if your mother was from this place and your father was from this place and they got married, you ended up kind of literally being a child of two different languages mm. or two different dialects and just ended up using the words they used. Interesting. Tokunoshima is such an interesting space, I think, in yeah. terms of which, especially with the kids growing up in such an agricultural place. And then I know you said land of Waido earlier, but I think that also a huge reason why some of these kids grow up with the language the the bulls oh yeah we didn't really talk about that but um (laughs) maybe we should talk about bull sumo in japan that isn't this is a very good way of introducing people to the real culture culture of rukyu um because most of our listeners would just be like yeah karate like no 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 no. um so bullfighting which is would, would you say that's okinawan in origin uh i am not sure actually i know it's it's pretty um, big in is it Motobu in Okinawa and also right. Tokunoshima. Those are like the two main places for it. I don't so, know. I mean, yeah, I think Motobu. I I was driving a friend of mine. We were in Okinawa, and uh, he's like second 
second generation Okinawan, mm-hmm. but he, his Japanese is he's more or less non-existent. Mm-hmm. And so I went with him to see his family, and I was driving him around because I had a driver's license. You know, I could, I could do all that, and I was kind of helping him translate between his family, at least best I could, because my Japanese, you know, even today isn't really all that great. They were apparently some person. Where is it? Aruma. I, I always forget the name of this place. It starts with an uh. uh. Oh, Uruma? Uruma-shi? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, said it, I said it right. Um, I always feel like I'm getting it wrong. She she had a cousin of his had known someone from from Tokonoshima, from the town I was in. I was like, oh, yeah, we love bullfighting. And so I think kind of the northern part of Okinawa really likes that. But Tokonoshima is huge into bullfighting. And when we say bullfighting, we don't mean like Spanish, like matador, like man versus bull. We mean bull versus bull. And it's this very strong cultural activity in those two very specific places that whether you agree with what they're doing or not, it has pers- has been preserved for, you know, time and memoriam between wars and factions and changes in governments it's the one thing that's remained and i think that's maybe held held on to that local language so also cost 30 dollars to get into so i'm just kidding <laughs> how many times have you gone to see one uh once or twice i think there was that one time we all went together and then yeah i think i went one more time after that with with some teachers or one teacher and then i, re- I don't know i don't remember <laughs> It wasn't my 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 thing. It, it's not a lot of people. It's a it's a very specific. It's a it's super niche, but mm-hmm. I think it's also largely a part of the identity of that island. So, yeah. Yeah. for better or for worse, I guess we can kind of maybe circle back into talking about you know what what had really caused Uchinaguchi Uchi and then the kind of the the island languages, the Rukyuan languages, to start getting you know hacksawed hacksawed out of. Uh, daily life because you had mentioned japanese colonization of the of those places but then you know time went on and they started becoming more incorporated into japan the rikyu kingdom got basically nixed and became okinawa ken and then the southern and then the northern islands became part of kagoshima but how did they try to axe these languages from being spoken i their their whole policy i think didn't only apply to Okinawa, it also applied to some of the really rural areas as well, where the dialects were really strong, but they used the school system. Um, and they had this thing called the Hogan Fuda, which is the dialect tag. And if a student was caught using, it could have just been one word of the dialect, it could be a sentence, just anything in whatever regional variety that they were trying to get rid of. Or like stamp out of the kids like if they said one word they would get this tag around their neck and it was kind of an embarrassing thing so it was very shameful and then the only way they could get rid of it was if they caught another student using the language and they would have to rat that person out to the teacher i think there were other things that the teachers made students do like another one i heard was they would have to stand outside with like bucket full of water. But the, the dialect tag is really the, the main one that people talk about. And and for that, you know how if someone pinches you, you might say ow or something like that, like just a reactionary right. word. Uh, I, I think that was one of the strategies that the kids use to, to rat out their friends and get rid of that tag because they grew up saying like, like aga or whatever for like ouch. 
I, I right. can't remember off the top of my head, but but just because it's such a easy way to get someone to speak in their first language, that that's how they did it. And so it's really savage and sad. Um, the, w- so what's our time frame when we talk about that? This was probably I want to say like the late eighteen hundreds after they took over the kingdom um, and made it part of Japan. So. Meiji, and then, but it didn't really, I guess, being super enforced until the turn of the century, the early 19th century. Right. Yeah. And it was complicated by World War II and that nationalizing campaign because if you speak two languages, you, you can't be one people. So you have to get rid of the other languages and make them all homogenous to make them think that fighting for the emperor is okay. So... Uh, I think the the huge push in World War II also, like on so many levels, was just devastating for Okinawa. Right, and that I mean, we cannot we cannot underemphasize. You know, there was lots of bad things that happened during that time, but Okinawa is still the one that kind of bears the the most some of the harder scars of that mm-hmm. kind of the kind of continuing remind. There's always a continuing reminder. There's continuing reminders many places in the world, but uh, Okinawa still still has a lot of those scars to bear. And I think the language was one of the things that had that had that. I think I remember hearing someplace that people people were actually shot for using Uchinaguchi during that time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, in the caves and stuff, because the Japanese soldiers thought they were spies because they couldn't understand what they were saying. So it's really sad. It was a lose-lose situation for Okinawa. But there was some, what is it? There was the kind of circling back to your to kind of your shared roots is that there was some, some people, some, uh, what is it, Okinawan Americans who were working with, who were working with the allies who had used Uchinaguchi to save a lot of people. Yes, yes. Which is pretty cool because those early immigrants from Okinawa who came to Hawaii brought their language with them. Their children who grew up in Hawaii also grew up around the language, were able to use it. Um, the military intelligence service found those those Japanese and Okinawan Americans who could use the language and then they went through training and they were sent to like Okinawa and they would help the villagers like try to understand that no no the americans are not the bad guys and that did help save a lot of them right amongst all that tragedy you know there's at least at least even especially with something that was tr- attempting to be killed in its homeland is actually weirdly enough the immigrants from that place actually went back and tried to save it Mm-hmm. And so, and then even in the recovery effort too, I think the Hawaii Okinawan Association got together and sent like a bunch of aid back to Okinawa. So I think there's a there's a pretty strong connection with Okinawa and and the diaspora, which is not as strong in like other places in Japan or even it's non-existent really. Because I mean, the Japanese Japanese diaspora, I mean that's mm-hmm. almost an entirely different topic, but. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't have that kind of strong connection in the same in the same yeah. way. So I guess we can kind of go back and like use that to kind of go into you know there was this long period of attempting to kind of kill off these languages, turn this turn the last century's uh, homogenization. I mean not just in Japan but in, you know, many other places in the world. But um, now now even in Japan there is a there is an attempt to kind of save these languages. Do you what do you, as a linguist how do you how do you view these attempts of kind of preserving and saving the languages and making them kind of alive again? So there's uh, a lot of um, researchers and linguists uh, at 
Ninjal, which is the National Institute for Japanese Language and Linguistics, I believe. So it's a national organization in Japan, but the work they're doing is amazing. They're trying to document a lot of the languages all around Japan, but especially the Ryukyus. And they're even trying to make or develop like community classes and even like picture books in the local languages.、Um, And it's really hard though to try and bring back these languages without the support of the education system. I know some people have tried to make like a charter school in Okinawa, like a Uchinaguchi kind of preschool or whatever. Right, I've seen some news about that. But... Yeah, but、uh, because of the laws in place with the education system, I think. Um, they're running into problems there. Like, they won't get credited for that or accreditation as a school. But it's, it's, a, it's really a lot of work to revitalize a language. And without that kind of, I guess, institutional support, it's really difficult. But it's, it's nice to see that there is interest in these communities to have these language classes and to see that it's both the young and old want to, to learn the language of their heritage. I, I, having experienced it in a couple different places, It's not to emphasize being an outsider, but you know, I had a, I was very fortunate to have kind of been tagged to participate in some of the language contests we had in Tokonoshima and got to know a couple people who were you know, really excited to share their language with me. And then you know, being able to see some of the kids try, at least in some way, to use their language. And they do, in some way, try to put it into the school system. How effective. It is, I'm not entirely sure. But I've seen it from people saying we need to preserve this to people just saying, forget it, it's not worth it. You know, for as someone who, you know, only never ever really knew English and didn't really understand any, like, didn't understand my own heritage,、um, to see someone have their own heritage kind of go through this weird history, this not weird, but tr- almost tragic history,、um, and try to re- re- retrieve it and revitalize it. I mean, that's, you know, that's it, no small feat. And it's nothing to sneeze at. What do you think? What do you think could be the future for for any of this? For attempting to get you know Uchinaguchi or the Rukyun languages kind of back. I don't want to say back because they're they're not gone, but we only have so much time before the people who actually can natively speak them can still inform us of anything that's there. I think a big thing is that since these are pretty rural areas, a lot of the people think that、oh, if their children are to succeed and like. Want to leave the islands, they need to learn proper Japanese. But there, there are so many studies that show like, the benefits of bilingualism. So these people are, are bilingual Japanese, and like Uchinaguchi or Shimaguchi on Tokunoshima.、Right. And then just, just, I guess, it's important to raise awareness of that. that like,、um, Sure, they might want to raise their, their children as bilingual in Japanese and English, but because of the communities that they're from, it would be so much more valuable to raise them in Shimaguchi or Uchinaguchi. Like, if the parents are working, they can leave their, their babies with the grandparents. Who are probably first language, like Uchinaguchi or Shimaguchi is probably their first language, and then the child would be raised bilingually in this Yukuan language and Japanese. And then as they get older, they can learn English or whatever in the school system. But I think that everyone, when they talk about, I guess, success for their children, they don't really see learning the local language as something that will impact their, their kids in a positive way. And I think we really need to shift that. 
that conversation to highlight some of those those benefits more. Right. Before, I, I, before we can do anything else, yeah. Do you think? Do you do you think? I mean, especially with with you know. Japanese being kind of phonetically, I don't want to say rigid, but very phonetically, you know, there's, it's kind of goes like these, these are the phonetics and that's it, as opposed to maybe English, which is so phonetically like stretched out, as it were. Uh, do you think, do you think having that, having one way I have at least tried to kind of advertise this to people is saying, look, if they learn this, they'll be able to speak English 10 times better than if they just were monolinguistically forced to only speak Japanese forever. I I think so. <laughs> I really think that learning like Uchinaguchi or Shimaguchi would would help them with English pronunciation, just because there's more sounds in in these Ukrainian languages that don't exist in Okinawa or they don't exist in Japanese. Yeah. Now, do, do you think that where could these you know? We can go to language into culture and kind of cultural activities. So in what cultural activities from Okinawa or from the Ryukyus do you think, you know, we've talked about a little bit about togyu um, bullfighting where, you know, the Shimaguchi kind of comes up, but what other cultural activities do we normally see Uchinaguchi or the Shima, Shima languages uh, pop up in? Just kind of just, just by fact of being from these places. I would say folk music. So like Sanshin. Uh, shamisen, Asa. Um, what is Asa for those for for those who are listeners who don't for, don't know? I I call it Okinawan taiko dancing. Yeah, it's really hard to describe, like to verbally describe. You have to kind of see it. Dancing with taiko drums instead of standing in front of a drum, like Japanese taiko. <laughs> right. So. There's Sanshin, there's Sanshin, there, there's Asa. I don't know, do you have anything else? Well, and then this kind of goes into the, the root of this podcast, karate. There has been some effort been made in the last... There's someone... I, I'm blanking on the name right now. But there's someone who has actually done... A Canadian researcher, and she had done research into Uchinaguchi used in karate. And she had published her, her findings on this one. Blanking on blanking on who it was. There's a Facebook group about it too. <laughs> so it should have been easy enough to pull up before the podcast. Uh, so we call professionalism. Like I think that's kind of a thing. I I've always, especially after I, I kind of learned about this, is what I've tried to emphasize to people who do karate is you know, karate. I think above Asa, above Sanshin, unfortunately. Um, I say that unfortunately because I think these things would would kind of catch fire if they they could actually be taken taken abroad a lot a lot more i think people would really be into sanshin or not just sanshin but also asa you know um but like karate you know as far as we can tell there's more people who do karate internationally than people who do do karate in japan there's more people who do karate internationally than people who do karate in okinawa right just because of population differences since this is such a wide audience how i what i've always tried to argue to people is if you can get people on board enough to switch a lot of what they try to use japanese for and switch it to uchinaguchi or switch it to to kind of the island languages then you can preserve it internationally. At least some parts of it, or at least some parts of it can be can be well well maintained internationally. And that's what I've always tried to argue, is that most people who go to Okinawa, they need English translations, they always need somebody to help them out. Knowing Japanese might be helpful, 
everything kind of is written in Japanese, but at least as in terms of a cultural activity, karate should be seen as that as well. And when we when we participate in a cultural activity, we should use as much of that culture's language as possible. I agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad you do. Unfortunately, I've, I've actually run into some people who've I've talked about this other places, and they've I've gotten uh, the response, of, the minor response of "Hey, this is a good idea." To this is a terrible idea. This is just pretentious. Unless we know everything about it, we should not do any of it. Which is a weird reaction. Yeah, I feel like if you start using it, that there's no really big issue there. <laughs> You're just switching out words, right? Um, yeah. And then if you wanna dive deeper, then of course you can always try and learn more of the language. But that's that's good exposure. I feel like just switching some of the terms and like you said it will help preserve those those terms and also raise awareness about uchinaguchi what's interesting is that some of the people who i know some of the karate karate people it always tends to be there's a guy who was in the military married an okinawan girl now they move now they live somewhere else they don't live in okinawa they live somewhere else in the world and they always kind of talk about the old guy always kind of talks talks about oh yeah the hogan the dialect my wife kind of know, kind of knows it but we just use japanese in class because i don't even think i as far as i know i believe this is more or less accurate as you were saying you know people value Japanese, at least at that time when they were learning, probably in the post-war era, they value Japanese over Uchitaguchi. So they were teaching these military guys and these international guys who were coming over to learn karate in Japanese. They weren't teaching them in Uchitaguchi. And so I think, you know, it, it would, I think this would also be kind of a radical shift for a lot of those old, older masters to suddenly start using a their dialect in class and then trying to have to tell them and to a degree deprogram this thinking uh, it's not a dialect it's our language it's our way of preserving it we can preserve it this way that it's might a, be a workaround that whole shimaguchi or uchinaguchi school not being able to open opening a um, uchinaguchi dojo there you go where everything is in the language and you learn through doing it's not like an explicit language learning class, but you you're learning language as you go through the moves, and because it's so physical, it might stick. I don't know, but it's well, an idea. That is, I mean, for a lot of people, for me at least, you know, how I learned originally learned Japanese was not through a class; it was through doing karate. And like the and like, there's a weird spirit. I don't want to say this in an odd way, but like a weird spirituality to the language for me. Because when I like when I when I do karate and when I was using Japanese, it was like doing it in a foreign language. That means it's means more and in reality it doesn't but you know to you it means something so i think that what when you're saying that there definitely i think that micah get on the get on the horn tell the <laughs> tell, tell them to do that I, I have friends in okinawa who are teaching uh, karate classes in english and in okinawa and i think there's there's merit to that too but you could actually probably do both so yeah yeah so what are you working on right now um in terms of you know, that normally I've, when we, when we do this we're like what are we working on this we will working on we're working on this kata or this this idea or this <laughs> this movement um micah micah to all to all degrees is not as much as i've tried to try to does not want to do karate in fact i remember one time i, I had a sanchin in my house i was having people over for for karate and he's like can i just come down and play sanchin while you guys do karate so, but in terms of, I guess, research on, on not just this topic, but what you're what you're working on now for your 
PhD work. What are you What are you getting into this 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 uh, I guess you, your term started this this uh, last week. It started last week. So I'm trying to use this semester to kind of focus my research interests. Uh, you could say I'm taking two courses with my advisor. So one looks at linguistic landscape and uh, that's looking at languages in places. So it can be looking at signs or it could be more like ethnographic, the people speaking in a certain location um, and how different languages interact there. And then my other class is looking at discourse. So like how is discourse or discourse in the sense of like ideologies and stuff, how are they conveyed through language? And for linguistic landscapes especially, I'm thinking that Okinawa would be a very interesting place to do a study on that just because of English, the military presence, Japanese, Uchinaguchi, and there's a lot of other migrant workers from all Chinese. over the place. Yeah, cool. China, the Chinese tourists, the like Filipinos. So yeah. <laughs> I think that would be an interesting place to do that kind of language study. I can't do it this semester, but maybe dissertation. I don't know. There you go. I I, I take that in a heartbeat. Um, all I can do is just kind of see Okinawa from my from my uh, upstairs window and just wish someday. So uh, <laughs> this week I'm uh, unfortunately not doing what you what you're doing, but uh, I'm doing what we used to do a lot of is preparing for a marathon and which one Yoron Yoron marathon? Yes, sir. So yeah. Preparing for that, good friends of ours are, are coming up for, are coming down up down for that, and uh, just doing more corrupt. Like I had trained, I had, as I told Micah before we got started, kind of had this weird uh, insomnia where I'll wake up and it's not so much oh god I can't sleep, uh, it's more like oh god I'm awake. So I'll wake up and be like, well, gotta start running. It's three a.m. Might as well, and kind of got wiped one day for that so it ended up mixing one of the uh, records i had for uh, our january challenge we have on the channel so nuts to that but yeah it's just going to be getting the running engine back up and and running and are you doing the full or the half i am doing the full i'm oh, i've never i've never done the half i've always done the full uh-huh um, I, I started running a lot again last year. Um, I'm still not in my Tokunoshima shape, but I'm hoping to get back to it or closer to it this year. I'm trying to be really consistent with my running because when I started my master's, I, I cut it out. I sacrificed my health for school and that was not good for me. Everyone um, everyone does that. Don't worry about it. It's, uh, it's not, I think at school kind of makes you think you need to do that. When in fact the the dopamine levels and uh, and the the what it will do for your health will probably help your study more than anything else. So. Yeah, so I actually have my Yoron Marathon picture um, up as like motivation for me to like get back in that shape. Uh, it it don't worry, it it, it happens to everybody and um, you just have to keep everything nice and balanced and not be too hard on yourself. Yeah. Because, I mean, me and Micah used to do triathlons and marathons and half marathons and used to have a whole, like, thing about it. And then we left 
where we were and just kind of life took over which is which is a thing it happens but we'll get we'll get back it's not it's never a matter of getting back it's always a matter of moving forward because if you always try to use a not necessarily saying what you're doing is wrong with having that picture up there as a goal but if you always think of like going back you're never going back yeah yeah you know but like you can always get better Mm-hmm. So, that that is my mindset. Just get better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, be better than you were before. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I see it. Um, cool. Well, Micah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you know what? I really appreciate it. I think you've helped give our listeners a, a much different viewpoint than I think what I would have ever given anybody and it's always good to have you on brother and I hope this isn't the last time we have we have you on the podcast well thank you (laughs) thank you for considering me (laughs) for this podcast it was fun to chat well indeed well folks uh thank you for listening and don't forget to keep training and keep studying